My Car Guru, Monday, July 12th. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Lenny Lawson, the Car Guru. On this Monday morning, it's Monday, whether you like it or not. If you don't like it, you probably have to go to work. If you like it, you're probably retired, and I hope you enjoy your continued vacation. Uh, That's just the way it goes. You know, sometimes when people retire, though, it's no vacation because they end up finding other things to do to uh, keep them busy. Um, My dad never really could retire. He just, you know, just liked being here at the dealership. I'll never forget um, when he was pretty much done. He he just really didn't have a place to go. And Mom and I were talking about it one day, and I said, you know what, I'm going to set up an office for him. He needs, that's what he needs. He needs an office, someplace to come to. Bet one of the best things I've ever done. So right across my office here at Gateway, um, there was a, an empty office. And so I set it up for my dad and gave him a laptop computer, which, you know, that was kind of a problem. Uh, he had a hard time operating and figure out how computers work. Didn't understand uh, so many of those concepts and the internet and stuff. It's just, and really never had to. He already always had somebody else to do it for him. But, boy, he knew how to use that iPad, and he could play the heck out of solitaire. So anyway, Dad just liked being here and, and interacting with customers. And, you know, a lot of people are people are that way. They just, uh, they can't hang it up. You know, the, there's only so much yard work you can do. There's only so much, uh, so many hobbies um, that you can have, and some people that's just not enough. So, you know, what I look forward to is visiting with people that, that come and have had big careers, and they come and, and they have service work here done at the dealership, and I'll go up and just start a conversation with them and just find out how fascinating their lives and their careers were. Uh, so many people have so many stories to tell, and they just don't get told. And that's sad to me. And so if I see a, a, an older person and they're kind of sitting there and staring off into space or watching uh, one of our massive TV screens in our customer waiting room, then sometimes I'll just interrupt them and say, what brings you in today? And that will start a conversation. And believe it or not, it has started a lot of friendships as well. So uh, that's what if, – if that's something you want to do and you don't want to want to quit, um, totally lay down or, or you know – start tending the garden or whatever, then there are places that could probably use your knowledge and experience. So uh, you have to seek them out sometimes. Another thing my dad used to do is, um, well, let's just put it this way. He left me a big library. And of within that library are hundreds and hundreds of books that I will never read, I'm sure, because there are a lifetime of books that he probably just scanned. He was always telling me, I just scan them, Lenny. I don't always read the whole thing because he was kind of a speed reader anyway. But I'm looking at this one book, and it's called (laughs) The Great Book of Business Secrets. You know, the first thing I look at that title, I'm thinking, okay, if it's so great, why are they secrets? And um, so anyway, I started going through it. And, of course, my dad always put his name in there here on the first page, Max Lawson, September 1994. And so I was just looking through the uh, index and said, okay, boy, there is a, the table of contents has a lot of uh, different sections. So the very first one I thought was interesting is managing people. And the question is, what makes 
an effective manager. So that's on page three. Let me find page three here real quick. Okay. So what makes an effective manager? Let's see what it says. It says there's no such thing as one single effective executive personality. Those effective executives vary widely in temperament, operating style, abilities, knowledge, and interests. What they do have in common are certain practices. These are the key ones. I guarantee, yep, that the source of this is from The Effective Executive. That's one book I have read by Peter Drucker. If you haven't read that book and you're in business, you need to read it. Um, and it's because of these things. Number one, effective executives or effective managers know where their time goes. In any organization, executives have little control over their time. The trick is to systematically manage whatever time can be brought under their own control. You know, I've seen managers, so many managers over the years that uh, cannot manage their time, and it's because they do not allocate time properly. Uh, they just let somebody else control their schedule, and that's, um, that's no way to operate. Number two, focus on results which is very critical if you're going to be a, a manager. If you don't get results, you're not going to have a job very long. Uh, number three, build on strengths. Capitalize on their own and those of their superiors, co colleagues, and subordinates. So build on your strengths. Number four, concentrate on the few major areas where superior performance will produce outstanding results. They set priorities and they follow them. You know, that's been one of my weaknesses over the years is I, I just tried to do too many things and didn't do anything well. And so when I started just taking a project and focusing on that and devoting uh, blocks of time, like Peter Drucker recommends, then I became more effective. And then finally, uh, number five, make decisions based on dissenting opinions. Hmm. To judge alternatives from which to choose are important. Dissent brings these out. You know, how many businesses do you know seek out dissenters? Not many. You know, a lot of bosses just want everybody to agree with them. Um, I've always been one to, to invite criticism. Uh, I still don't get it as often as I'd like. I had an employee that threatened to quit not too long ago, and and, I, you know, finally um, I got to him and we sat down and talked. And, you know, he said that um, he just didn't feel like anybody cared what he thought. Nobody really listened to him. And, you know, I look at myself and I, and I blame me first. And then I, talk, then I think about his managers. And I said, how many times have they sat down and actually had a real conversation? You know, I, I talk about the difference between transactional conversations and, and really – deep conversations. You know, we transact with people all the time. Um, you know, you have an employee that is uh, works in the parts department, you order parts, you have a little conversation about that, and then you carry on. Uh, how often do we sit down and have a, a real one-on-one -on -one where we're inviting criticism, we're inviting uh, back-and-forth discussion about how things are operating and what their opinions are? You know, sometimes bosses are afraid about what they'll hear. And, um, but that's no way to be, and it's no way to improve the organization. I, that's one of the things I talk about PALS, is the organization created by Pal Barger and, and Tom Crosby, up uh, his fabulous CEO, 
um, there. You know, of course, Powell passed away, but Tom is still running things. And um, he has a, a wall that has all the ideas that, that actually turned into changes in the Powell's organization that were generated by employees. Uh, if you do not listen to your employees, then you're listening to the wrong people. Of course you have to listen to your customers, too. So anyway, I was just looking through this book, and I, I saw another section. It, it was about um, uh, communication, uh, communicate, uh, how to communicate your ideas and, and time-saving techniques and improving managers' productivity and, and how to manage cash flow. And, and it's just a really good book. Um, you might look it up, The Great Book of Business Secrets. It was consolidated, I guess, put together by something called Boardroom Classics. It doesn't have an author, but it might be something you want to check out if you have a business and you're trying to run it, or if you just want something interesting to read. So we'll take our first break and be back here in just a minute. Okay, we're back to My Car Guru, uh, Lenny Lawson here, and trying to enlighten and educate and to prevent people from making mistakes. Uh, whether it be buying a car or owning a car with car service, car maintenance. We've talked about all that stuff. You just got to listen over a long period of time, and eventually I'll say something that makes sense or that that will benefit you in some way. Hopefully it all makes sense to somebody. You know, I was uh, driving my old Ford Bronco. It's a 1970 model. Uh, it's pretty plain Jane. It's sold new in 1970 for $3,600, I believe. Um, but I can understand why a lot of people didn't drive SUVs back then. I don't even think they were called SUVs, sport utility vehicles. I think that was a modern creation. You know, it was just a rough riding thing. You know, the Bronco had an appropriate name. It was like a bucking Bronco. And they sold well, but they didn't sell in really big numbers, but it, it has become a cult vehicle. But that thing has no power steering, no power brakes, uh, it takes effort to stop it. Uh, you don't have to Fred Flintstone it, but it's pretty close. Um, Three-speed manual transmission on the column, no radio, bench seat that is non-supportive. You just kind of sink into it. You know, this vehicle, I found it like eight years ago. Um, it's a 1970 model. It only has, get this, 36,000 miles on it original miles, and it drives like a vehicle with 36,000 miles on it. Uh, the, the crudeness of it is, is what I like. It's just so simple. You know, and, and the auto industry goes through, through uh, transitions all the time, and we're in a big technological revolution right now, especially with all this EV stuff. But many years ago, General Motors uh, created a car and actually leased it to people. It was called the EV1. Have you heard of it? Um, it was a, kind of a weird-looking car, but somewhat uh, conventional. Kind of looks like a Ford Probe. Of course, most of you don't know what that looked like. What a terrible name for a car, also. Ford Probe. Wow. Uh, anyway, uh, General Motors developed this car. Uh, they had to invent a lot of new technologies, and I'll tell you about what some of them are. In the 1990s, this team of, of engineers faced a lot of challenges. One of them was they didn't have any battery technology that could get uh, any kind of range. And matter of fact, this vehicle had the energy, this battery is a 26 lead-acid batteries on this thing. 
That is the equivalent of half a gallon of gasoline, <laughs> okay? So obviously not going to be able to go very far. Um, the list of technologies that were designed and developed and put into production on this car is pretty impressive. I didn't know that GM had this kind of brain power. I guess they do. Among the most significant things were uh, power electronics design and packaging the technology that they had. And they figured out how to cool it because apparently batteries, when they're being used, heat up. And when you put them in a confined space, they heat up a lot. And so they were the first to figure out, you know, how to provide uh, cooling power to uh, this location in the vehicle. They also created electro-hydraulic power steering. So this was an electrically controlled over hydraulic system and power steering. It soon led to full electric power steering that we have today. A heat pump, HVAC, the grandfather of today's systems, was created uh, on this car. Uh, low rolling resistance tires. You know, it's, it's hard for me to get used to s stepping into an F-150 and checking the tire pressures, and the pressures are, you know, 40-plus pounds. But that's one of the ways that you improve fuel economy and range is, is simply by uh, having the tires have less rolling resistance. The, uh, that is here to stay, and it's going to get even more so. I, I ride a, a road bike, a bicycle, and I pump up those tires to 110 pounds of pressure. When you hit a bump, you know it. Anyway, um, electronic defrosted windshield. Virtually invisible embedded wiring was uh, there to defog the glass. Um, let's see. Oh, inductive charging. So this is where something will charge you and you just lay it on a pad and it charges. That's called inductive charging. Uh, that became useful for electric toothbrushes originally, among other things. Keyless ignition was first used on the EV1. Electric brakes and electric parking brake. Um, wire acceleration, uh, basically a drive-by wire. Um, also braking and gear selection all done by wire. Uh, cabin temperature preconditioning, tire pressure sensing, regenerative braking, all of this was created and developed on this particular car. So a lot of the features that we see and use today were developed on, on this particular um, vehicle. So fast forward to today. So where are we? Well, uh, when it comes to battery technology, it's, it's always held electric vehicles back, and it still is more or less today. Uh, Lithium-ion batteries provide much better range. That's what they're putting in vehicles now. Uh, but it still does not compete with gasoline engines, nor do they charge as fast as filling up a tank yet. To me, that's going to be the big deal. I don't want to sit someplace 40 minutes to charge up my car. Um, I like five minutes to fill it up. That just sounds better. It's not that I don't care about the environment. Because I do... It's just that I'm too impatient. So the mileage is going to be, the, I'm sorry, the range is going to be a big issue. Um, the ability to travel 300 miles sounds really good compared when you're looking at 60 miles on, on the, the General Motors EV1, um, if you were lucky, 60 miles. 
300 miles is good for use on normal everyday driving for most people, but if you're going on vacation, it's not good. I don't like that. Um, there's also the issue of the messy production of, of lithium-ion batteries. The um, you know you're using fossil fuels to produce all this stuff. It's not like it's carbon neutral or anything. Um, then there's the longevity of the batteries. How long will the battery last? They are said to last a lot longer as they figure out the uh, temperature reducing technologies to keep the, the temperature of the batteries down, that that will greatly enhance the life of batteries. I was going to look at my iPhone to see how much life I got left in it. I've had it for approximately, I'm going to say a year. Um, where is battery? Let's see what Lenny's battery health is. 89%. So when I bought this phone a year ago, that number was 100%. Now the maximum capacity of my battery is just 89%. So let's say that's your car and you've had it for a year. And now you can, when you get a full charge, you used to do, you know, let's say 100 miles and now you just do 89 miles. That's an issue. It's going to go down unless they figure out some way to control that. And then once the battery depletes, uh, what do you do with them? Um, you know, right now, the, to buy a new battery pack is cost prohibitive. You're better off just to buy a whole new car. Well, I think what's going to happen really with EVs is folks are going to lease them. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't like the idea of leasing a car. But I think that it's very possible that leasing will become the norm. You know, right now in, in East Tennessee, I'd say maybe Five to eight percent of people lease cars. I'm talking about individual car owners as opposed to buying cars. Now, when you go to larger cities, uh, you go out west, um, it's really almost 60 40. Uh, 60 percent buy the cars, 40 percent lease. And it's just they go through cars a lot quicker and, and they want to be able to, to change. You know, that's what one of the justifications for leasing is you get a new car every couple of years. But the downside is you always have a car payment. So, you know, you just have to figure out what's best for you. If I was out buying a car today, especially if I'm buying a, you know, somebody that really does a lot of leasing like Toyota or Honda, I'd always get a lease quote just to see. You know, if some salesperson comes up to you and says, would you like to know what it would cost to lease it? Most people say, heck no, I don't want to lease a car. I want to own it. Well, that's not always the best answer. I think you ought to probably get in the finance office and tell them you're going to buy it and get the, get the purchase numbers. And then say, uh, what would it be if I leased this car using the same uh, purchase price on the car? And they're going to look at you and say, um, how, how do you know to ask that question? It's because I listen to my car guru. But really, sometimes they'll jack up the price if you decide to lease the car. And you got to watch that. Make sure that they call that number the capitalized cost. I know that doesn't sound like anything like selling price, but you know all you have to say, okay, the selling price on this car and I'm buying is $35,000. That's what we negotiated. What if we use that as the capitalized cost? What would my lease be? And they're going to say, boy, you've done this before. So anyway, that will save you some money. But look at the lease number. I mean, it might make sense. If you drive less than 20,000 miles a year, uh, leasing can sometimes look very attractive, and at as high as resale values are, it might be worth looking at. I'm just saying. So let's take our last break, and we'll be back here in just a minute. 
you know, sometimes managers do make bad decisions, duh. Um, employees do too. Customers, when they're buying cars, often make bad decisions because they don't listen to the possibilities. Uh, if you get a good salesperson, a, a good sales consultant, that's more what I look at them as, is somebody to really advise and, and help you make a good buying decision. If you have a good one and, uh, you know, they have some ideas and suggestions, don't think that they're just trying to get you to buy something that you don't need because most of them are just trying to do what uh, what they think is best for you and for the company as well. You don't have to buy everything. Um, matter of fact, when you go into a finance office and they start trying to sell you extended warranties and gap insurance and stuff like that, you know, you don't have to buy that stuff. Now, for some folks, that's the right thing to do, to buy it. But for many folks, it's not. And just because they quoted you the price, including all that stuff, which is illegal, they're not supposed to do it that way, but there are some dealers that do break the laws. Imagine that. So you just have to be careful that you don't buy something that you know that you don't need, but also consider the options like leasing that may that may work for you. Uh, if you have any questions about that, again, call me, my cell phone, 423-552-2020. You can text or you can just call and leave a message if I don't answer the phone and we'll get you squared away. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and I guess I'll see you on Tuesday. Bye-bye.